0: Psalm 115, verse 3 reads, Our God is in the heavens, He does all that He pleases. We are moving then from the passages that have spoken, I hope to you you've seen fairly clearly about God's control even over human wills. We're addressing the question of, does that make us robots if He changes our wills, if He controls our wills? Isn't He the one then doing the choosing and deciding and not us. Dan, you've given an excellent answer. You pointed out that when it comes to God's control over our human will, one of the reasons it's so important to believe this is actually because without believing this, we've got no hope. If we really believe that we are corrupt in our inmost person, that we have been affected by the sin of Adam that we've inherited, and we have a corruption within us, such that we do not seek God on our own. And that's the argument at the beginning of the book of Romans. That's what Paul's saying. They've all turned aside. No one seeks after God, quoting the Old Testament. So if that's true of us, if Romans 1, 2, and 3 are true, that whether you're religious, irreligious, whatever, we don't naturally seek after God, we are enemies, we're rebels naturally, then what's going to make a difference with us? how's that going to change? A rebel's not going to change himself. He's a rebel. His desire is to sin and to rebel against God. So how's he going to change? It has to be something external to himself. And that's where we get hope as a Christian. I am hoping that God himself comes down and interferes with rebellious wills and turns them to himself. So when anyone, Calvinists or minion anyone, when we are praying to God for a lost friend, I mean, that's exactly what we're praying for. We are praying that God would influence, at least influence, if not utterly just devastate someone's own will that's choosing freely, willingly to rebel. That's the second point that you pointed out as well, is talking about Calvinism and God's full control, we don't want anyone to come away thinking they're people and they're just grabbing the ground at the gates of heaven trying so hard to get in there and god just pulls them away they're not elect they're not chosen away you go and they want to get in there they want to worship god it's not at all what we're talking about like you said we're not robots also because however this works we freely choose our rebellion i mean nobody is being forced to do that on a conscious level we choose our sin that's how our legal courts work that's how life works. We're assuming you chose to do that sinful thing. So Calvinism is not about God looking down, saying, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you, everyone else is weeping. Oh, if only he'd pick me. It's we're all in rebellion, and God changes the wills of some out of mercy. We are
1: broken, and he fixes our wanter.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, that's exactly right. A good way to explain it to children, too. Uh, he's fixing our wanter. That's precisely correct. A few things I can add here well, maybe the best thing I can add here is some more Bible verses. (laughs) So let's... Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So really, I don't want this to be um, won by force of opinion. Here's what we have to do now is I've given you verses that show very clearly God's full control. When we then logically, by our own logic, not the logic of the Bible, but our own logic, say, okay, if God... Harden Pharaoh's heart, if God has mercy on whom he has mercy, if God controls even human wills, logically to me, it seems like people are robots. The main problem with that conclusion is that the Bible never makes it. Bible makes just the opposite conclusion. Here we go. Just a few. Exodus chapter 8, we're talking about Pharaoh. God hardens his heart. But notice what else we hear. Verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw there was a rest, he hardened his heart and would not listen, as the Lord had said he would do. He hardened his. Wait, did the Lord harden his heart? Did he harden his heart? The Bible presents it as both. Jeremiah 32:35. God says, They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. But here, it did not even enter into my mind that they should do this. So if you have a view of God controlling human wills, having that level of control, that means that basically God's just pulling the puppet strings and doing it. So you'd say God's just pulling the puppet strings as they sacrifice their children to Molech. God says just the opposite. It did not even enter my mind. I did not command them. I did not, he's expressing, I didn't want them to do this. So we had to take that into account. Romans 1, 18 to 20, the wrath of God's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, etc. What can be known about God's plain to unbelievers? Quote, so they are without excuse. If you have a view of God's control, that means, oh, well, it's God's fault, not my fault. That's God's making the decision. That's not the logic of the Bible. Lastly, Romans 9, my favorite example, because later in Romans 9 is what I read you before. Before they were even born, God chooses so His purpose can stand. Like, wow, that's hard. You might logically think, oh, well, you know, I don't even need to evangelize. I don't need to care about people coming to Christ. God's just going to do it. That's called hyper-Calvinism. We don't believe that. Because look at the verses that start Romans 9. Paul says, St. Paul, St. Paul, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So Paul, who says God chooses, he says it clearly, starting in verse 10, super clear, but back in the first three verses, does he logically conclude, therefore we are robots, God will save whoever he wants to save, I don't even have to be involved, he can do whatever he wants, I don't feel anything about it, I just accept God's will. No, Paul feels a zeal and a passion and a grief for those who are lost and dedicates his whole life to bringing them the gospel. This gets us to the, the crux of the question, and what I think is not a complete but a satisfying biblical answer to it. Basically, what you have from all the verses I've read are two things. Number one, clearly in the Bible is taught that God has a complete control that is not limited The Bible doesn't tell us all of the machinations and workings of God's control, how he decrees, how he does, it. can we say cause or do we say decree or what does that even mean? We're not told all of that. What we are told is that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases and his power is not limited the way that Arminius believed that it was. It's not limited. So we're told that in the Bible and we have to accept it as true. And we are told clearly in the Bible that we have a sort of freedom such that we're not robots, that we are responsible for our own decisions and actions, and that we can't simply blame God for the decisions that we make. There is a freedom that we have. Now, the reason there's debate here is because everyone sees those in the Bible and we go, I don't know how to put those together. How can God be completely in control, and yet I have any sense of freedom? It doesn't logically make sense. Someone asked this to Charles Spurgeon. How do you reconcile God's complete sovereignty and man's responsibility? And Spurgeon said, well, I don't ever reconcile friends. My homeboy Chuck. (laughs) He knows what's good. That's right. That's what he says. They're already friends, meaning in the mind of God, they make perfect sense. The problem, and the reason we get all twisted, is because in the mind of Bryce, or Dan, or you, they don't make sense. We don't know, and the Bible does not tell us how both of these things can be true. We do not know, and I would say more, you cannot know. It is like the inspiration of Scripture. Did God write the Bible, or did a person, say Paul, Peter, did they write the Bible? Yes, both. It's like the paradox of the Trinity. There's one being, there are three persons, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. They're all God, but the father's not the son. The son's not the spirit. How is that possible? I don't know. And you know what? You better not know either, or you're probably in some kind of odd heresy. We simply don't know. This is a paradox. We're not going to understand the Trinity. We're simply going to accept that it's true. And it's the same with God's sovereignty. This is, if you want, the technical theological term for it. Our view is really called compatibilism. Compatibilism. Because what we're arguing is those two things we've shown you in Scripture, God's complete sovereignty and our freedom and responsibility, are compatible. They do not contradict each other. We simply don't know how to put them together, but God does. And I would just say in closing there, If you struggle with those, which one do you want to get rid of? Would you rather get rid of God's complete control in the world so that God does not sit in the heavens and do all that he pleases so he doesn't have control over your boss, so he doesn't have control over evil men in other parts of the world who want to do you harm? Do you want to get rid of that so God can only move physical matter? That's it? I don't want to do that. Do you want to get rid of the freedom that we have and the responsibility we have that keeps us from being robots? Do you want to eliminate that? No. So in the best of all worlds, you would have both a God completely in control and people who are not robots. You just don't feel like you could have both of those. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And yet God says it makes sense to him. In response, Paul,
1: after those great chapters, Romans 9, Romans 10 and Romans 11. At the end of 11, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And so, these things that may be unsearchable and not within our grasp to understand, it results
0: in a doxology that we give praise to God. Absolutely. That's why our concern is not to figure this out, but to accept what we see in Scripture and respond appropriately. As we finish this up, I do have one last thing I'd like you to address, and that is I've met many people who have really struggled with this idea of God's sovereignty, or the idea of, quote-unquote, Calvinism, largely because they've encountered people who hold this view, what we would call Calvinists, and those Calvinists have simply not been nice people. I don't know why this is. I have noticed it's not universal. I know a lot of very nice Calvinists. Spurgeon was a very happy Calvinist. But I will say it's true that Calvinists sometimes live up to the stereotype of being fairly harsh. Not always, just sometimes. And there are harsh Arminians, whatever. But Dan, what would you say to someone who's really struggling with this view? Logically, maybe they're saying, okay, I see that in the Bible. But then they're thinking of that guy or that girl who just was not kind. And they say, surely that person's view cannot be true. Well,
1: I I would have to say guilty as charged because I am a recovering cage-stage Calvinist. I think I can relate to the question from the inside. Tim Challies defines cage-stage Calvinist as someone who has learned tulip, the five points of Calvinism, and goes on a relational rampage. They attack, bludgeon, and judge their brothers and sisters in Christ who don't line up with tulip as they do. And that, that manifests itself in several ways, you know, even reading the scripture, you can only look for those portions that back up your argument. Kindness is jettisoned. It goes out the window. You, you search for Arminians under every rock. You burn bridges and you build walls. Um, and as I alluded to earlier, you can misunderstand your identity. I, I am a Christian. By God's grace... I hope to be a reflection of Christ. And I want to remember that loving is more important than winning a theological argument. And sometimes for people who are passionate about any particular point of doctrine and are not patient with people who may not understand as they do, pride can come in and Jesus gets pushed to the margins. He gets forgotten and passed over for the mud pies and the slums of theological street fighting. So I would say that I would hope we would all learn the true humility that understanding God's sovereignty and our responsibility represents, and that we would be patient and kind, knowing that we don't have anything that's not been given to us, that we only know because God has given us a small measure of understanding. So I think that's how I, as a recovering cage-stage Calvinist, would have to respond.
0: Well said, Dan. And cage-stage, that term is because um, when someone first encounters tulip, doctrines of grace, Calvinism, and they're seeing it in the Bible— often there is this beginning response of, why didn't anyone tell me this? This is amazing. And everyone needs to see this and an assumption that anyone who doesn't has insidious motives and are devilish false teachers or whatever and you just go on this rampage. So the idea is a person at that stage needs to be placed kindly into a cage and that locked and remain there until they overcome this early stage of enthusiasm so they can be released.
1: Or into a barrel, and the hole in the barrel needs to be plugged
0: up. Yeah, you know, that's also a fair way to put it. So, whatever your views on the sovereignty of God, we hope that you'll continue studying the Scriptures. That's our main point. We are simply trying to, as someone has said, have a system of understanding the Bible that makes the most sense of the most verses in the Bible. It may be in the past that you've had unpleasant experiences with Calvinists, and therefore Calvinism has been distasteful to you. It may also be that the idea of a God fully in control when there's a world so full of brokenness just seems impossible in your mind. It may be that you've given up on trying to understand these verses about God's complete control. You just skip over them. That may be in the past who you have been, but I hope from now on God will help you to jump into his word, continue your study of knowing God himself, know the extent of his power, rest in that, and to think this way.